Let's read together from the Word of God. Colossians chapter 2, reading from the first verse. It's a letter to a church that Paul hadn't founded, uh, that he hadn't visited, and yet you see the same deep pastoral concern for the Lord's people uh, that he had for the congregations that he did found and where he knew uh, the members personally. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So what? Have you ever asked that question? Maybe it's the board teenager who thinks they've seen it all and you tell them something, maybe give them advice, the answer you get back is, so what? You're very dismissive, perhaps. But it's not, of course, only younger people who might ask that question. And it can be a useful question, in fact. It can be a question about consequences, about The results of something you've said, what does it mean? What does it signify? How does that work out in practice? It isn't necessarily a cynical or a bored question. It's a question perhaps about practical results. Somebody makes a statement perhaps that seems abstract, high-flown, theoretical, impractical, might sound impressive, but question then is, how does that actually work out in practice? Sounds great, but maybe it isn't practical at all. Maybe it doesn't actually work. So asking, so what, can sometimes bring uh, the pretentious down to earth. It can prick uh, their pretensions if they're sounding grand and impressive, but There's no substance to it. It can be a useful question 
If it's asked in the right way, so what? What are the practical consequences of that? How does it work out in practice? Now, often in the Bible, we find very profound theological statements. Statements about God, about human beings, about the universe, about life, about how we should live. And it's significant how often in Scripture the writers go on to follow up those great statements of truth, of doctrine, by spelling out for us the consequences of those truths, how they do work out in practice, as if they were almost answering an unspoken, so what? Here's this great doctrine, but how does it translate into practice? What impact should it have on how I actually live? And we find something of that in the passage we read uh, earlier in Colossians chapter 2. We want to go on then today to look at verse 10. Colossians 2 and verse 10. You have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. So here are words to encourage us as we stand on the brink of a new year with unknown challenges. There are problems that we may expect. There are others that we will never have expected. We don't know what the providence of God has planned for any of us. And we need encouragement, and we have it in Colossians 2.10. Our fullness in Christ. Our fullness in Christ. The great theme to lift the hearts of God's people and to strengthen them to go forward into a new year. And as we think of Paul's words uh, here in verse 10, we need to think first of all of united to Christ. United to Christ. In verse 9, as we saw last week, Paul has presented a magnificent description of the incarnation of the Son of God. In Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. There's the great truth of the incarnation of God's Son summed up in a few words, in half a sentence. We're reminded that the Lord Jesus Christ lacks nothing of the very nature and the perfections of God. What we see in God, we see in Christ. He is fully God, as we noted. He is fully man. And as a result, he is perfect Savior. So there is a great truth about the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 9. And now we ask, well, so what? What are the implications of that as the Lord's people? What does this mean for us as Christians? Here are great things that our minds can hardly take in. But what does it mean in practice? This could seem 
perhaps very abstract theology sometimes does appear. It could seem unrelated to our everyday Christian living. But in verse 10, Paul spells out for us the practical significance of these great truths for our lives as God's people today. This is not something that's floating in some distant realm. This is pinned down for us to our life here in this world with its joys and with its trials. The crucial expression that Paul uses, one of his favorites, is in Christ. How often we find that in Paul's writings, in Christ. Words that remind us how, as Christians, we are united to the Lord Jesus Christ, the very heart of our salvation that makes us who we are, is union with Christ. We've often said that is really the most basic way to understand salvation, union with the Lord Jesus Christ. But what does it mean to be united to Christ? We could use the words and yet not really understand what they mean. What is it to be united to Christ? Well, Paul spells it out a little more for us uh, when he gets uh, on to verse 11. Verse 12 He describes being buried with Christ in baptism, raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. United to Christ means we're united to the Lord Jesus in his death and his resurrection. We are bound to him with an unbreakable bond. Paul deals more with it in Romans 6. You can read uh, Romans 6 will give you a deeper understanding of union with Christ. And again, he writes there about how we were therefore buried with Christ through baptism into death. Spiritually, we have died to our old life, our old sinful life. But more than that, he goes on there to say, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. We are united to Christ in his death and resurrection. It's as if we died that death on the cross and we were raised from the tomb with Christ. Of course, literally, that doesn't happen to us. But it does happen to us spiritually. We die to the old life under the dominion of sin and we're raised to a new life eternal life with Christ, united to him, so that what Christ has accomplished in his death and resurrection now belongs to us. Whatever he has accomplished as he died on the cross and as he rose again, now belongs to those who are in Christ. As if we had died the death and we had risen from the tomb. Now, spiritually, we have received a full salvation. A salvation we receive by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When a sinner believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and comes to him, gives themselves to Christ, we receive all the benefits of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They all are granted to us. That's the wonder of salvation. Sometimes we think uh, that salvation is just about the forgiveness of sins. Now, it certainly is, and that is a wonderful blessing. But there is so much more that the Lord gives us. All that Christ has accomplished in his death and resurrection is now given to us as the free gift of God, all provided for us by our Savior. We're joined to Christ spiritually, and we receive the fruit of his dying and rising again. To Paul can write in Romans 6, 4, 11, Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Dead to sin, alive to God. We are united to the Savior. And so to be saved, to be truly a Christian, is to be united to Christ. The illustration he himself uses in John 15 is a branch united to the vine. You think of how life flows from the plant into all the branches, all the twigs, all the leaves. So spiritual life flows into us when we are united to Christ. Once we were dead in our transgressions and sins, now we've been made alive. That's a measure of how great the transformation is when a sinner saved. It's not a little thing. It's not a trivial thing. It is the most amazing miracle that we could imagine. Once we were dead in sin, now we're alive in Christ, united to Christ. We receive life from him. To be in Christ is to be dead to an old life under the dominion of sin and to be alive to a new life serving the Lord, united to Christ. You can see why the phrase in Christ meant so much to Paul. It should mean much to us if we're Christians. In Christ, all the benefits of his death and his resurrection belong to us. They're the free gift of God, united to Christ. But then secondly, Paul turns our thoughts to being filled in Christ. We've had united to Christ. Now he speaks of filled in Christ. And he gives us the wonderfully encouraging statement, you have been given fullness. You have been given fullness. Paul's using a perfect tense. And we'll not get into all the, the ins and outs of the language, but you can understand this. You have been given. And that implies not only that you were given the gift, but you still enjoy it. That's the point of the perfect tense. 
You have in English as well as in Greek. You have been given. And it tells you you've still got it. It's not something you had and you've lost it or you mislaid it. You have it still. You have been given fullness and you still have it now, Paul is telling us. It'll remain your possession forever. A blessing that you can't lose, that you can't forfeit in any way. You have been given fullness. Do you notice the link to verse 9? We were thinking last week about the fullness of deity that dwells in Christ. Everything that God is, Christ is. Fullness. And now Paul picks up the same word. And he's telling us, you have been given fullness. And what that means is that by the grace of God, we share in the fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We share in all the riches that are in Christ. All the provision, all the blessing that we need in order to live as children of God is there for us in Christ. It's already provided. Because we're united to him, we share in his fullness. Isn't that magnificent? to be told that you have a share in the fullness of Christ himself, the comprehensiveness of what God provides for his children. And we can't fully take it in. It involves so much. But what we do understand encourages us and blesses us. We have been given fullness. And that's a frequent theme in the New Testament. You can understand why it is, because it is so full of encouragement. It's a source of strength. It's an encouragement to us in trying and testing times. We could multiply references just to quote a couple of them. 2 Peter 1 and verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. Everything we need for life and godliness. Or again, what's a very precious promise to the Lord's people, Philippians 4 and 19, my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. All the supply is already there. All we have to do is come and draw on it and receive it for ourselves. It's all there in Christ. In union with the Lord Jesus, the Christian is complete. The Christian finds perfect fulfillment. The things that that people around us are searching for, to find meaning in life and to find fulfillment and to find purpose in Christ, we have these things. They're already our possession. We don't have to search for them. The Lord has given them 
to us. In Christ we are complete. And so the Christian can sing in Psalm 23, I shall not be in want. And indeed the Christian is the only one who can sing that. I shall not be in want. Oh, there may be all sorts of things that we think we need. There are certainly things that we would like to have. But the Lord in his wisdom perhaps doesn't give them to us. But he will give us whatever he knows we need. There will be no lack. No genuine need of the Christian will go unsatisfied. It's all already there in Christ. Of course, people are seeking these things everywhere. In possessions, in success, in everything that the world offers. And yet those sources of fulfillment and satisfaction in the end are going to prove a delusion. People are going to find out, in fact, they've deceived themselves by pursuing these things. It's only in Christ that we have fullness. How sad it is sometimes to see Christians pursuing what the world offers and thinking somehow that will give them fullness. So foolish and so wrong. To have fullness in Christ there provided for you. And yet to go and look for it somewhere else, that's foolish. Jeremiah describes it way back in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 2, the Lord speaking through Jeremiah, speaks in verse 13 of how his people had gone to broken cisterns that could not hold any water. And that's what you're doing if you seek fullness and satisfaction and purpose and meaning in life anywhere other than in Christ. You're going to a broken cistern and when you get there, it'll be empty and it can do nothing for you. Whereas as Christians in Christ, we have the spring of living water. That's how Jeremiah 2 puts it. The spring of living water water. If you have that, why would you go to broken cisterns? Why would you go anywhere else if in Christ you have the spring of living water? You have fullness in Christ. You have been given it and you have it as your permanent possession. You can't lose it. Why would you seek these things anywhere else. We have fullness in Christ. The riches of God's blessing to us. When you think of the fullness that is in Christ and it's shared with us. Surely it will spend all eternity understanding more and more of what that means. And we will never exhaust it. It is so rich. It is so glorious. It's all the fullness of God himself given to us in Christ. That will fill eternity for us joyfully in the Lord's presence. United 
to Christ. Filled in Christ. And then finally ruled by Christ. Ruled by Christ. We have so many reasons for confidence in the Lord. So many reasons why we may be certain that his provision will not fail us. Paul gives us one particular reason here. Not only does all the fullness of deity live in Christ, but more do you need to know than that. And yet in addition, Paul tells us that this Christ, in whom all the fullness of deity lives, is head over every power and authority. It is a very powerful assertion of the absolute sovereignty of our Savior, of King Jesus, head over every power and authority. We do well to think much of that and to meditate on that. Here is a Christ who is supreme over every power, every authority, not just in the world, but in the entire universe. He is head over all the powers and authorities. Remember now, it is the Son of God incarnate that Paul's writing about. It is Christ who lived, died, and rose again, who is exalted to heaven. He is the head over every power and authority. This is the risen Christ who tells us in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Not some or most or almost all. All authority. Now, of course, as the eternal Son of God, he always wielded infinite authority. There was no limit to the Son's authority. But now he speaks as the one who also shares our nature. God and man. And now Christ as the mediator, as the saviour, as the Messiah, has all authority in heaven and on earth. He reigns as the mediator. This is what we sometimes refer to as the mediatorial kingship of Christ. Not some abstract piece of theology, but a wonderful encouragement to Christians as we remember that our Savior is King of kings and Lord of lords, that he has authority over every power in the creation, and all must serve his will and his purpose. The mediatorial kingship of Christ is a truth that is of tremendous encouragement to Christians. As Paul noted uh, back in chapter 1 and verse 16, Christ as the creator has made 
the powers and the rulers and the authorities. He created them. Angelic powers particularly are in view. And whether now they are the good angels or they are the fallen angels, the demons, Christ is head over them all. He rules over them all. And they fulfill his purpose. The good angels happily fulfill his purpose. They delight to do it. The fallen angels have to ultimately fulfill his purpose. They hate to do it. They would resist if they could. But Christ is head over them all. And that's an important reminder for Christians in Colossae because some of them were inclined to give honor to the angels that they shouldn't have had, even to worship angels. And Paul's reminding them, don't worship angels. Don't worship anything less than God himself. And it is Christ in whom the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form who's head over all these authorities, over all these powers, and they fulfill his purpose. Why would you submit to any authority other than Christ the King? It is a truth that is of the utmost practical value to God's people. As we enter 2020, and we go into a year that is full of unknowns, unknowns to us, they're not unknown to our God. They're not unknown to the Lord Jesus Christ, head over every power and authority. And he is supreme over the trials and the hardships and the spiritual battles we're going to face. He has already won the victory. He is now, as we sit here and worship today, head over every power and authority. And so we can go into a new year, not confident in ourselves. And we're in a culture that worships self-confidence. But we go into a new year confident in the provision of the Lord, the one who has given us fullness in Christ, so that whatever comes to us, the sorrows along with the joys, we have a Savior who is providing all that we require. We will never be left alone. We will never be left in want. And so we go forward in believing confidence, trusting in the Lord. You have been given fullness in Christ. It is your possession and you take it with you into 2020 by God's grace and God's love. And this Christ is head over every power and authority. And nothing will come that is outside his control or his purpose. So we can bow willingly to Christ and praise him and trust in him because he will never fail us.